As we come to uh, uh, our everyday existence and, and our relationships, we know that relationships can be challenging. But God has designed relationships so that uh, in our community, in, 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 in community with one another, in relationship together, uh, we might be encouraged to live each day with the glorious hope of God's rescuing love firm in our hearts and that we might live strengthened because we have friends and family around us who speak words of life to us. And we go through seasons in our relationships where it seems as if uh, things are out of whack. I don't know if you've ever been in an out-of-whack relationship. Have you ever been in an out-of-whack relationship? Back up a second. Have you ever had a car that was out of line? You know, you know what I'm talking about? The front end needs to be aligned? I used to have this Mustang that I drove when I was a lot younger. Um, <laughs> Totaled the thing, by the way. Well, that's not, that's a different story. Uh, so I had this Mustang, and uh, it, it, it was out of line. And you knew it was out of line. You know, when a car is out of line, front end's out of line, uh, first it, it, saw, it starts off subtly. You know the subtle out of line. It just kind of veers to the left, you know, or veers, or veers to the right. It's, it's a subtle out of line. But if you let that thing go and you don't, if you don't fix that out of line, the subtle becomes even more uh, uh, pronounced. So that you're, 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 not, you're not just veering, you're, you're driving and the steering wheel starts doing like this, right? And when it's really out of line, everything starts shaking. And shaking so much that it becomes a distraction because you're driving. I, I don't know about you, if there is a rattle inside my car, any kind of rattle, I go nuts. I, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? You know, I, they, they say texting and driving is dangerous. I, I was dangerous long before that when it came. I mean, rattles inside. And, and when, when the front end's out of line, everything kind of loosens up. You know, everything's shaking pretty soon. You got rattles inside. and it, It's not just, it's not just a, an annoyance. It now becomes dangerous. And it, if you leave the car out of line for a long period of time, it's going to do damage to the entire automobile. When we look at our relationships, when our relationships are out of line... It, it, it's annoying. It, it, it robs you of energy. It robs you of progression. It's hard to move forward when your relationships are out of line. In the church, one of the killers of a church is it's not, it's not programming. You know, the Apostle Paul never in Scripture talked about programming. Didn't address it one time. You want to know what he talked about? He talked about relationships and teaching. The relationships get bad, the church is in trouble. And teaching gets bad, the church is in trouble. Those are two things he addressed. And we, we spend all our energy focused on programming. Well, we need to have this program. We need to have that program. No, what we need to focus on is relationships and our teaching. Today we're talking about relationships and I'm teaching for about 45 minutes. So we're going to get it all loaded up. All right, so... The question is, how do we move from just survival mode in our relationships, whether it's relationships here in the church or in our home, how do we move from just survival mode to, to thrive? 
How can we really thrive? Now, last week, we began in Colossians 3. Hey, remember, Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1. Remember what Paul wrote? He said, if then you were raised with Christ, uh, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things below. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul lays it out. He says, oh, here's where we need to begin. We need to begin in, when it comes to our relationships and life and everything. Here's where we begin. If you have been raised with Christ, then you need to pursue as your supreme desire, design, agenda, whatever, you need to pursue Jesus Christ. You need to pursue the things that are above. Here's what happens in our relationships, if, if, if I may be so bold as to offer this little counsel. What happens in our relationships, we get out of whack because we get out of focus. Our focus becomes something other than Jesus Christ and, and, and what he desires. It becomes Eric Thomas and what he desires or, or, uh, uh, or, or someone else. So what happens in our relationships, the reason we get out of whack is because we get out of focus. In the church, please listen to me, church. If your agenda is something other than Jesus Christ, you got the wrong agenda, and you're, 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 you're making our church out of whack and out of line. Today, we need to set our focus clearly, clearly on the things that are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. We need to seek those things which are above, not the things down here on the earth. And until we do that, we're, we're still going to be out of whack and out of line. We do this in our home, and it's probably easier in our home because, I mean, we've got everyday life. We've got bills to come and do. We've got to take care of all the mundane and busyness of life. And, and so, so we, get, we get caught up in all those things. I've, I've got four daughters. I've I got to figure out how to do four weddings. I'm, I mean, kind of drive me crazy, right? And so, so you have all these things you've got to focus in on. And they're not getting married anytime soon, by the way, so I have plenty of time to save up. Wait, I just had a moment there. Just forgive me. Um, so have, have, uh, we get busy with life. I get it. And, and in the busyness of life, we start pursuing things, but Jesus becomes a distant memory. Memory, it's not that we don't care about Jesus anymore. It's not that we don't think about him every now and then, but it is definitely not that he is our highest pursuit. And that's why our relationships get out of whack. So Paul said, here's where we begin. We, if you have been raised with Christ, if you truly are a follower of Jesus, if you have been made brand new in Christ Jesus, then here's what you need to do. You need to set your agenda to a different focus, and that focus is Jesus Christ. All right, so that's where you begin. And then we looked last week at the things we need to cut out of our life. We need to prune the toxic. Now, many of us have toxic things that we have embraced and we have treated them as though they're life-giving and they're not. Look, 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 I didn't read this in the other ones. Y'all know this is going to be a long sermon, don't you? Have, y'all have already gotten the word. My daughter, yeah, oh yeah. My daughter said, uh, uh, down, how long did you preach today? She said, somebody told me it's really, really long. <laughs> so I said, yes, it is. All right, so look. Look, look at verse 5. Now, we talked about this last week. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, because the things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which, you once, uh, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. 
don't lie to each other. All right, so, so as, as Paul's listing these things out, he's saying, now there, there are things you need to prune, and they're toxic. They're death-dealing desires. Death-dealing desires, uh, the, the immorality and the uncleanness, uh, the, uh, the, they're, they're death-dealing desires. We've got to stop those things. The second, abusive emotions. Abusive emotions. These are emotions, anger and wrath. Anger is that settled feeling of, of discontent and frustration that eventually turns into a, a rage against other people. And you might say, well, I don't have that problem. I don't believe you. Well, we all do. I mean, I'm not an angry type person. I don't know if you know that. I'm really not an angry type person. Am I, girls? I'm, I'm not an angry type person. But, but there are moments when I get this settled feeling of frustration that, that, that begins to take root in my heart and I start getting bitter. And if I allow bitterness to have its uh, natural fruit, I'm going to uh, go through this outburst of rage. And like I said last week, outbursts of rage don't really have to be outbursts. They can be a passive-aggressive backdoor attack. But the goal is to punish somebody else because you're feeling punished. To hurt somebody else because you're hurting. It's abusive emotions. It's toxic. And some of y'all are experts at it because you do it with a smile on your face. This is a Deep South thing. You know, I've, I've been a Deep South person, right? You know what I'm talking about. You've been from the Deep South. Deep South person is a person who can smile and talk sweetly to you, to your face, while they are absolutely taking a dagger and sticking it in your back 22 different times. All the while saying, oh, I'm so glad you're such a good pastor. I love you so much. You're so nice. Seriously, some of y'all laugh because you know it's true. But that's what, and, 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 and some of us have become experts at this. We, we hide the rage, but really, really, you know it's there. And that, we've got to stop that. It's toxic. And then, not only abusive emotions, but destructive words, malice and, and, uh, uh, and blasphemy or slander. It's, it's where we say things, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you names uh, so I can hurt you. Or blasphemy is, or slander is where I say uh, things, it may be true or not, it doesn't matter, but my goal is to take you out um, and, 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 and talk about deceiving each other. These are destructive words. They, they tear down. By the way, if you tear people down with your words, you know that you're not following Christ. Just, and you might excuse it. Here's the thing. You can excuse it all you want to, but God's not excusing it. You might convince yourself that it's okay for me to play with these death-dealing desires. You might say, it's okay for me to surf the internet and look at this. I'm not hurting anybody. It's just me, myself, and this screen. And you might say, it's okay, but please understand, you might excuse it, but God's not excusing it. You may have convinced yourself it's okay for you to be angry and call it righteous indignation. Friends, there's a huge difference between having righteous indignation and, and anger and wrath. Righteous indignation or being uh, 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 anger over right, uh, in a righteous way. Number one, Jesus was about the only one who could get by with it. Uh, right, you got to be careful. Got to be careful. And, 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 of course, Jesus also took a whip and beat people up in the, in the grand lobby. 
When it says he was angry, he beat people up. Did he not? Isn't that what he did? He beat people up in the grand lobby. Right. So, so Jesus is about the only one to get away with it. But, but suppose you are angered over righteous things. That, that's not a settled feeling of, of frustration. That's not unmet expectations. Making, it's not an insecurity that bulls up into a rage toward other people. It's, uh, you know, God is being dishonored, so I'm going to stop that. Read a Facebook post. I every now and then read Facebook. Read a Facebook post. Uh, one, of our, one of our members said, I defended my family today. I'm sure there was some, some righteous indignation. So, man, that's a thumbs up. But then, then there are those moments, most of what we're talking about is where, where, where you come and you say, something, you say something to me and you keep saying something to me and you keep saying something to me and I want you to leave me alone. And so I say, leave me alone. You don't leave me alone. So I say, well, I can't believe you're not leaving me alone. And you just keep on. Just keep on because he's a persistent cuss. And he keeps on and he keeps on and he keeps on. And finally, now he starts to get I, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Don't talk to me anymore. And I just start, start to get frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. And then finally I say, I'm going to punch you in the nose. And you say, well, you bring it on because, man, I got, I got you. I got you. you know, it, but it's that, it's that kind of progression that takes place. I'm preaching last week's sermon. I better move on, hadn't I? All right. So those are the things that we need to get rid of. <coughs> and they're toxic things. And we're killing our relationships because we embrace these toxic things and we won't let them go. And we've rationalized it, and we've excused it, but Paul says, if then you were raised with Christ, you've got a different way of life. In verse, verse 12, where we're beginning today, Paul says, if, um, uh, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, he's telling us, hey, listen, again, he's reminding us, there is a different identity that you have. You are a follower of Jesus Christ, so you need to be living differently than you did before you met Jesus. You need to be relating to people in a different way than when you weren't a follower of Christ. If you have somebody around you that doesn't know Jesus and they're more compassionate and kind and generous than you are, listen, you're missing it. Therefore, as the elect of God, those who have been chosen by God, he has rescued us. He's brought us into his family. He's adopted us into his family. As the elect of God, holy. That means that we have been set apart for special service. God has set us apart for himself so that we might serve him. As uh, elected God, holy and beloved. Do you know God loves you? So he loves me. He's set me apart for special service. He has brought me into his family. And as one who is part of God's family, there is an expectation God has on my life. Do you know that God expects you to behave Oh, yeah. Listen, that, you know, uh, behave. Did that communicate? That's what my mom and daddy used to say. My mama mostly. I haven't wished her a happy Mother's Day yet. I've been busy. Um, I did send her a card. No, Edie sent her a card on my behalf. Um, we, have a con- we have a contest. My, my, four bro- my three brothers and I, we have a contest to see who gets to talk to her first. I have one brother that's not in church very much because he has not read Colossians 3 yet. And uh, that's not true. He, he's doing better. Anyway, so, so, but he won't be in church today. He will call her first. And I'm going to say it doesn't count. Um, but my mom and dad, you know, when we leave the house, they say, behave yourself. Behave your-. They were telling us there's an expectation that they have on me. 
I, I mean, I could not just go anywhere I wanted to go and do anything I wanted to do. I couldn't pick up, uh, pack up and get in the car and drive to Washington, D.C. all by myself if I wanted to. Laying my eyes on my children over there. There were expectations. Behave yourself. Do you realize, as, as someone who has been brought into the family of faith, as someone who's been rescued by God's grace, as someone who's been uh, uh, made brand new and a, a great masterpiece of God's grace, do you realize that God has expectations on how you do relationships? He, he has an expectation on how you relate to others and how you talk to others and how you treat others. And it is not okay for you to fail to behave yourself. It's not okay. It's what, it's what gets everything out of line in the church. It's what gets things out of line in your home. So how, how do we, you notice point number one hasn't even appeared yet. So, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a long one. All right, so well, let's have fun, right? I mean, this is good stuff. We need to hear this. All right, so what do we need to do? Well, once we start dismissing, cutting off, abandoning these, these things that need to be abandoned in our life, then we need to embrace, put on, take hold of these virtues that he describes for us. In beginning verse 12, therefore, as uh, the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, put on tender mercies, um, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against the, uh, another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do in word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, so what's he saying? Well, first he's saying, as, as people who have been made brand new in Christ, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Here's how you're supposed to behave in your relationships. You need, we need to start uh, planting uh, these life-giving ingredients of love into our relationships. Remember, last week we needed to take away the toxic. Today we need to plant these life-giving ingredients of love. Now they're ingredients of love because as you look uh, in verse in verse. Uh, Verse 14, but above all, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Um, here's the picture he's painting. He's saying, all right, you put on tender mercies like you put on a, a shirt. You put on, uh, put on gentleness. You put on meekness. You put on humility. And you put on, uh, uh, you put on uh, patience. It's like clothes that you put on. But you bind it all together with love. Now, this love is not the syrupy sentimentality of soap opera digest. It's not that kind of love. It's not the kind of love that you get, um, uh, you know, it's not the cotton candy kind of love. It's not the bubble gum kind of love. It's not the, the, the pop 
kind of love. This is love that sticks. It's a love that satisfies. It's a love that, that uh, sustains us. It, it's the kind of love that we always wanted and, and was out of our reach until we met Jesus because Jesus introduces us to this love that satisfies us from the inside out. It's a love that fills us up to overflowing. It's a love that is a, a picture of sacrifice for the good of another. It is the, the picture of of, of one who, who leaves heaven's throne to be born in a manger in a stable, to, to live his life perfectly just so he could die for a sinner like you and me, be raised from the dead three days later to give us forgiveness and new life. Jesus models what love is supposed to look like. It is sacrificial. It is, uh, it is self-giving. It is, um, uh, it's me doing whatever I can just to bless your socks off, regardless of what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. And, and, I mean, good or bad. It's just me doing everything I can just to bless your socks off. Now, that's the kind of love that binds us together in this, in this way in which we experience. Um, a perfection may be bold, but completion is about right. So we find completion in our community and completion in our family, completion in our relationships. Guys, I've got to tell you, if that kind of love is not leading your relationships in church or at home, you're missing it. You're out of whack, and you need to get realigned. Okay? First John 4, 9 and 10, if you want a verse to go with that, First John 4, 9 and 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he gave his son to be the payment price for our sin. Beloved, if God has loved us in this manner, we also ought to love one another. And that includes your spouses. Duh. Okay, so uh, this is, this is uh, life-giving ingredients of love because love is what binds it all together. But what are the ingredients? First is a compassionate heart. Now, compassion is, or tender mercies, depending on your translation, compassion is more than just um, me uh, uh, feeling sympathy. Um, and it's more than just empathy, but it includes both sympathy and empathy. If I'm walking by uh, one of my daughter's rooms and I hear one of them crying, uh, I don't walk past. I stop. And I'll listen to the door. And then I'll knock. And then I'll say, are you okay? Is there anything I can do? Anybody I need to beat up? And maybe, you know, maybe the response is, you know, and I'm like, well, baby, just put your head on my shoulder. It'll be all right. I don't know what you're saying. It doesn't matter, honey. It'll be all right. You know, uh, but compassion, compassion includes sympathy and empathy. And, and, and it's part of what we're supposed to do as followers of Christ. Do you realize that we don't have an excuse not to be compassionate? Do you know that I'm not naturally a compassionate person? I'm not. I, it, I, that, that was not part of the DNA code that God gave me initially at my birth. A, a naturally compassionate person. I, I don't naturally just feel what you're feeling. I don't feel much at all, right? <laughs> Seriously. The girls will tell you, you know, I, if I ever came, I would say, you know, you really hurt my heart. They say, you have to have heart first. 
They have said it. That's not a joke. Um, But we have a good relationship, at least did until then. Um, I don't naturally have compassion. But I wake up in the morning, and compassion, um, I'm not waiting for the feeling. I'm making the choice. And when I make the choice, I make the choice not because I'm afraid of what church members might say if I don't show it. I'm making the choice because I am a child of the living God. I have been brought into the family of faith. I, am, I, I have been given a new identity in Christ. I've been made a masterpiece, so I'm not going to act like a bunch of junk. And so I'm going to be compassionate. Are you compassionate with people around you? Are you compassionate in your home? It's easy not to be compassionate in your home. I, I understand that. I really do. I, I do. I get that. It's not an excuse. There's no legitimate excuse for a follower of Jesus Christ not to be compassionate. We're supposed to have compassionate heart. Picture of compassion, good Samaritan. Are you the good Samaritan to the person who's fallen down among thieves? A picture of compassion, Jesus looking at the crowds and they were hungry and and he had compassion on them. And so he took uh, uh, some fish and some bread and he multiplied and fed thousands of people because he had compassion. Are you that type of person? That's who we're supposed to be. Supposed to have a compassionate heart. Secondly, we're supposed to have a, uh, a, a, a generous spirit, a compassionate heart, a generous spirit, kindness. And, and I won't spend a lot of time on this because kindness is almost self-explanatory. But here's the question. Are you kind or are you not kind? Let's think about our words. Are your words kind or not kind? If there are two categories, kind and not kind, what describes your words? See, sometimes what happens is we like to excuse our words uh, because we wrap them in sarcasm or we laugh at the end of a little statement and we think, oh, well, that, you know, I hid that very well. But really, the, the goal of those words was not kindness, not generous, not, not, not life giving. The goal of those words was, uh, I'm going to stick it to you a little bit. Here's a a good question. Are you building up or are you tearing down with your words? We're going to talk about communication in two weeks, uh, so I won't spend too much time on that, but, but do you have a generous spirit toward others? Are you harsh or are you kind? Another way to say it, um, are you a jerk? Are you a jerk to your children? Are you a jerk to your parents? Are you a jerk to, to your spouse? Are you a jerk to people in this church? Are you a jerk to people at work? Are you a jerk? Don't think that, that, that anybody believes that that is holy unto the Lord. Because it's not. Being a jerk, no matter your personality bent, is, is just not acceptable. God, you're not meeting God's expectations. Okay? So when you have generous spirit, when you have compassion and heart, third is we need to have a humble disposition. A humble disposition. Uh, he says humility, and humility is the opposite of pride. We know that. It, it, it's different than pride. Uh, but... Um, sometimes what we do is we forget that humility, in essence, 
is where I decide that you're more important than I am. That's humility. Humility is where I determine that, that what will bless you is more important than even my wants. That's humility. Humility is, uh, is the description of Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and came in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus died. That's humility modeled for us, and that's the kind of, that's kind of attitude disposition we're supposed to have in relationship to others. You know, one of, the, one of the best ways to kill a good relationship is to be self-serving. That's in the church and that's at home. If we would all be humble unto the Lord, man, I'm telling you, relationships would be thriving. We'll get to that in a second, more in the application. All right, so a humble disposition. Four, we need to have a, 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 a gentle spirit. A gentle spirit. Uh, the term here is meekness, and uh, the Greek term is proutes. I like to throw one out every now and then. Proutes. Uh, simply, it means, it doesn't mean weak, and it doesn't mean uh, wimpy, uh, but it means gentle. This is a lesson I had to learn because, again, I was raised in a family of boys. Didn't have any girls in the house except for my mom, who is a great mom. Happy Mother's Day. And, and uh, you know, she, but uh, we were not gentle in spirit toward each other. Does that make sense? Now, in our own way, we were. You know, it, it wasn't like uh, we weren't quiet. We weren't, we weren't soft. We weren't wimpy. We weren't weak. Uh, but we had each other's back. And when we talked, in a, sometimes in, in language that would make you cringe, not, not bad language, just harsh, you know, it sounded rough and tough. I'm trying to cover my bases here. Um, we would talk, and, and it, would be, it would be boom, you know, and, and ooh, and, and that kind of thing. But, but that was how we encouraged one another. I know if you, if you never had brothers, you don't understand. But, it, I mean, I'm, I'm really not being funny. You know, when, when, we, when we encouraged each other, it was with um, um, more... It sounded harsh, but it wasn't, right? Obviously, the girls in my life did not get that memo. In their concept... If it sounds harsh, it is harsh. Daddy, daddy, that hurts my heart. You know? Uh, do, do you have that kind of gentle spirit that, that lifts up, doesn't tear down? Your words need to be meek. And this is one of the things. My, my, my words have to, have to be meek. They, they need to be gentle so, so that it, it buoys the, the, and gives hope and encouragement and strength doesn't, doesn't press down and push down. I need to pour that into my children and in my, in my wife and my relationships. I, I've, I've learned that my tone has to be gentle. I, 
Again, my tone, because I, I y'all know I'm kind of loud. That's not microphone. That's just me. You know, I'm kind of loud. So, so my loudness can, can be confused as meanness, and it's really not. And, 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 and so I've had, to, I've had to back up and watch my tone. Last year, we had staff retreat. We did a 360 evaluation. That's where all the staff evaluate me. And I love it. I really do. I love, I love being evaluated like that. Uh, not by you all. Uh, I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you don't know, I'm evaluated every Sunday, right? Uh, but I, I, I love that, that time where staff get together. And they, they'll go through it. We'll do it again. We're going to staff retreat a couple of weeks, and they'll do it again, and, and they'll evaluate. And, but, but at this evaluation... Last year, um, one of the things they told me is they said, Eric, you need to stop looking like you're mad. <laughs> That's serious. And you know what? My facial expressions do not always tell what's going on inside of me. Sometimes my facial expression, Carl, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, Carl? <laughs> Carl? Carl and I are cut from the same cloth. Sometimes my facial expressions communicate sternness or, 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 or madness or something, you know, and, and, and it's really not true because inside I'm having a party all by myself and it's, you know, it's great, but, but, but not everybody gets that. And so I, my, my facial expressions were not gentle and the staff said, Eric, we're scared sometimes because of the way you're looking. <laughs> and I said, I need to bring my children in here and they'll coach you. They know it. They've got it figured out. But, but I've, had to, I've had to work on that because sometimes my facial expressions are not gentle. Some of us are beating each other up with our fa facial expression, our tone and our words, not, not the least of which are our actions can beat each other up and and we wonder why it is our, our relationships seem out of whack. See, as a follower of Jesus, we don't get a pass. Just because I'm naturally, you know, mad looking doesn't mean I get a pass on, on, on treating people with that kind of gentleness rather than harshness. So, a gentle spirit. And then finally, and this is where it gets a little rough, uh, finally, we're supposed to have patience, a patient soul. Now, patient... So the, the term there is, is macrothumia, and it's, it, it means long-suffering. Ultimately, if I could paint a word picture of this word, a word picture, paint a picture, this is a metaphor. Uh, what it looks like is a doormat. A doormat. It's a little double entendre going on there. A doormat. And it's where I, I will be stepped on and stomped on and beat up I will suffer pain over an extended period of time as long as it takes in order to bless you. Long-suffering. It also means that I will suffer pain without reacting with, uh, with revenge when you do me wrong. It means that I'm going to take it. And, and it literally means I will be a doormat. And I know we don't like to hear that. In fact, 15, 20 years ago when I preached the same text, I didn't paint that picture. Because we need to, you know, we need to stand up for ourselves. No, we are children of the living God. He will stand up for us. Our job is to be the doormat. I know I don't get a lot of amens on that one. 
in our relationships. Now, I'm talking about normal, everyday, dysfunctional relationships. I'm not talking about the... Y'all didn't get that, did you? I, normal, everyday, dysfunctional relationships. I, um, obviously, in, in a marriage relationship, if there is a, a physical abuse going on, you don't be the doormat. Let me come be the doormat for you. I'm serious. I will come and I'll stand in the gap for you. I'll get a team of men and we will surround you and we will protect you. Do not, you don't, let us be the hands and feet and fists of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Okay, so so I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is some of y'all, some of y'all want to fight for your right. And all, all the while, you're supposed to be long-suffering. You're not supposed to be back there always in a contention, always in a, always in a brawl, always, always taking somebody on. That, that's not who you're supposed to be. Long-suffering. Long-suffering is done through, and here's how we know it's not fun, is through forgiving and forbearing. Forgiving uh, is... Uh, uh, and we're looking at forgiveness next week. We're going to take a lot of time on forgiveness. And maybe not as long as today, but we'll do a, we'll, we're going to take some time on forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness, the term there means that I'm going to cover it with grace. I'm going to surround it with God's grace. I, I'm not going to take offense. I'm not going to try to get even. I'm not going to hold it and, and, and let it become a, a source of bitterness in me. Yeah, I'm the doormat. You're still stepping on me and stomping on me and taking delight in it. But I'm going to cover that in grace. It's going to be okay. Wives, you need to do that for your husbands. Husbands, you need to do that for your wives. Children, please do it for your parents. We're not as cool as we used to be. (laughs) Truth. Extend a little grace. But we're supposed to do it here in this church. Forgiving. Also, Paul qualifies that forgiving if anyone has a complaint against you. Now, what that means is, uh, oh, can I just dispel one myth? There's a myth here that says, says that we are to forgive if they ask for forgiveness. That's a myth. In this context, in this verse, you know what it says? If somebody is stepping on me, I'm supposed to forgive them regardless if they stop. They might not ever stop stepping on me. I'm going to forgive them. They, they may continually stomp on me. I'm going to forgive them. They'll never ask for forgiveness, but I'm going to forgive them. Why? Because that's what long-suffering does, because I'm going to pour the ingredients of this, these life-giving ingredients of love into their world. You, does, you forgive not waiting for them to ask. You just forgive. It's a choice. You forgive and you forbear. Uh, forbearing... Uh, is a term that means, uh, uh, David, come here. Uh, step on my back. Yeah, 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 go ahead. Okay. <laughs> That's forbear. But he stays there. Now, notice I asked David, not Nicholas, because <laughs> Nicholas, stand up. You see? See? <laughs> but forbearing is where you, you, just, you just 
you just stick. You take it. Forbearing. Now, the reason we don't like this is because we don't like the pain associated to the relationship. We would much rather punch them in the nose. We would much rather be responsible for setting them right. There's a way to do that, but, but that's not the first course of action. So as we look at this passage, we see these five ingredients. First, compassion and heart. Second, a generous spirit. Third, humble disposition. Fourth, a gentle spirit. And fifth, uh, a patient soul. The question is, how do we do that? And, and I don't have time to, to get into that. Uh, other than we must let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. Peace of Christ, this is my relationship with Jesus is mo- more important than anything else. It's going back, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. It is uh, as, as, the, as the elect of God, as, as those who have been set apart in a special way for his services, as, as those who are loved by God, then here's what we need to do. The way we do it is we let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. Uh, the term for rule there is a term that means umpire, makes the decisions for us. But the question is, what is the peace of Christ? What, what is he talking about there? Well, peace of Christ is we have a relationship with God because Jesus made peace between us and God through his death on the cross. So it's a picture of the gospel that, that I now have a friendship with God because of Jesus. That's peace of Christ. But here in this context, it seems something different than that. What would it be? Well, it's, it's peace with Christ But peace being uh, a Hebrew picture of shalom, the fullness of life, life without any missing pieces. So the way I have this peace of Christ, where I'm satisfied completely in life, is because of Jesus. The only way you and I can be satisfied today in our other relationships is to first be satisfied in Christ can, can I just say to you, stop looking to your husband, your wife, your friend, your neighbor, uh, uh, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. Stop looking to them to satisfy you. It's not going to happen. They can't. Not made that way. There's only one who can satisfy us. His name is Jesus because he's the one that brings us into friendship with God. So we're going to guard our friendship with Jesus, our relationship with Jesus, before anything else. He's going to come first. And, and, and as one commentator said, this means that we're going to pursue with our whole heart obedience to the will of Christ. I'm going to do whatever I have to, to, to let obedience to Christ be the rule of my life. Why? Because he's the one that satisfies me. Well, we, we spend all our energy trying to please a, person A and B and C and D because we think they're going to give us a little, a, a little happy. But here we have the one who will satisfy us inside and out, make us content no matter the circumstance. Here's the one that, that gives us the strength we need to forbear and to forgive. Here's the one who teaches us what compassion and, and, and meekness and tenderness and kindness and, 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 and uh, 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 humility is all about. Here's the one who is the answer to my life's quest. His name is Jesus. So I'm going to let peace with him, through him, dictate my every day. I'm going to live to please Jesus. So whatever it takes to please him, that's what's going to rule my heart. That's what's going to rule my day. That's what's going to rule my relationship, whatever it takes to please Jesus. And secondly, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, 
Not only does, does Christ's peace need to rule, but his word needs to direct. His, rule, his word needs to direct us. So when it comes down to our relationships, here's how we thrive. First, we thrive when we, uh, uh, when, when, when we live by this divine design. And the divine design is throughout this passage and throughout all Paul's letters. Divine design is this. God first, others second, me somewhere down the line. Husbands, God first, your wife second, your children third, your friends fourth, extended family fourth and fifth, you somewhere down the line. Wives, God first, your husband second, your children second, your extended family second, your 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 friends, your close friends, your, your church, uh, they're, 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 and then you're somewhere down the line. This is the divine design. See, we get out of whack in our relationships because we flip that. We say, Eric first. God second. Others somewhere down the line. Now, we don't say that when we're in church because we're all respectable in here today and we, we wouldn't say God, God's not first. So what we would say is, is uh, well, God first, me second, and then others el- uh, down the line. But that's not the divine design. The divine design, God first, please him most of all. Others second. How many others? All of them. And then you somewhere down the line. The thing that kills intimacy in marriage, the thing that kills community is self-serving. Being a self-serving soul. A person who puts myself first, God second, others third. It kills your relationship. If both spouses, God first, others second, me somewhere down the line, if that's the model of your relationship, I promise you, you'll thrive. And it doesn't matter how bad it gets in your world. You will thrive. Oh, God promises you'll thrive. It doesn't matter if I promise it or not. So we live by divine design. Secondly, uh, we, we need to work on me before we start working on we. Here's the, here's the simple principle um, that's in this passage. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. It doesn't matter what my husband does. It doesn't matter what my wife does. It doesn't matter what my children do. It doesn't matter what my special friends do. It doesn't matter how they respond. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how good they are or how bad they are. I need to work on me. I'm responsible for being compassionate. I'm responsible for being gentle and generous and humble. I'm responsible for being patient. What we do in marriage, I don't know if y'all have ever done this. Not my wife has never done this to me. I've done it to her a couple of times. Um, If you would just fix this part of your life, then we would be a lot happier. Now, here's the thing. We don't say that out loud in marriage. We just push those little buttons that we've got to push that tell them if you would be a better this, that, or the other thing, then then our marriage would be perfect, hunky-dory. 
That's, that's working on the we before we're working on the me. See, I need to take care of my responsibility. The question that you need to ask in your marriage is not how well your husband or your wife is doing. The question you need to ask in your marriage is how well am I doing? Take care of the me before you start taking care of the we. You know, say, well, they keep wronging me. They keep me doing me wrong. Well, take care of the me before you take care of the we. When they do you wrong, are you being forgiving? You say, no, I want them to stop doing me wrong. I get that. But that's not your job. Your job is to forgive, to forbear. I know that's not fun. And the last thing I'd say, so, so take care of the me before we live by the divine design. And then third, we need to plant the word of Christ into our souls and into our family. Look, if, if, if as, a, as a husband and wife, you're not, you are not following God's word, no wonder your relationship is a mess. Now, here's what Paul said. He said, he said uh, let Christ, the word of Christ dwell in you richly um, in all wisdom, uh, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Do you realize that the teaching and the correcting happens not through what I say to my wife, but from what God's word says to my wife? Now, it is a lot easier for me to say, honey, here's why we need to do A, B, or C, because this is what the Bible says. This is what God says. Honey, that makes all the difference. It, it, it doesn't make it necessarily less painful. It doesn't make it necessarily less personal, but it does plant it in the right perspective. This isn't about what I want, Edie. This is about what God says. It's different. I still don't know that I have the courage to say that, but if I did... One of, the reasons, one of the reasons we're in trouble in our relationships is because the Word of Christ does not dwell in us richly. And one of the reasons our marriages are ending in divorce at a frightening rate is because the Word of Christ does not dwell in us richly. We're, we're living by our emotions. We're ruled by our feelings. And we wonder why it's ending so badly. Today's the day we can begin realigning. Get, get our relationships in line. And my prayer is that you would begin that journey, continue it through this week. Next week we're going to come back and we're going to talk about forgiveness.